Welcome to the WellCast. The world has a lot to say. We're bringing a biblical perspective to those conversations. Welcome back to another episode of the WellCast. My name is Jordan, and my lovely co-host here is lovely. Mike Lovely. You went back Sarasone. with the lovely. Yeah, yeah, I do. Man, you're so lovely. Man, that's just such a compliment. I'm Stevie so... Wonder wrote that song about you, oh. not his kid. Okay. <laughs> I've never met him, but... Yeah, how are you doing I today, just called man? to say I love you? He wrote that about me? Yeah, that's okay. the one. That not the isn't talking? she lovely. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, I got it wrong. Yeah, pretty no, cool. I'm doing, I'm doing well today, man. How are you? Good. Yeah. Uh, we are continuing in our series. Yes. About world religions, major world religions. We had just passed through some of the correctionist movements, or yeah. some people call them cults. Yeah. And but not uh, like the crazy cults. Yeah. yeah. Not, no child sacrificing, it's as far as we deviation know. from orthodoxy. Yes. Yeah. A deciding factor being that they are the true church in every movement. Yes. So uh, now we are kind of in another true church movement, but one that is massive <laughs> yeah it's massive to the point of yeah 1.2 billion people worldwide yeah and uh the roman catholic church if you haven't put it together is uh what preceded the protestant church and it uh draws its roots back to the early church in rome that's why it's called roman catholic yeah. which i learned that embarrassingly recently <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, there is also, like, I mean, I grew up mixture of Roman Catholic and mm-hmm. Irish Catholic. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. You're not, you're not completely wrong. So there, here's the asterisk with this episode, right? Um, Mike, you said it really well earlier, so please help fill in the gaps. Yeah. But um, you can be a Christian and be Catholic. Yeah, I think it is possible. So, so we have to understand the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. When we're talking about, you know, whether or not you can be a a Catholic and be a Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, do I think all Catholics are Christians? Probably not. No. Uh, do I think that all people who come to a Protestant church are Christians? No, I, mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, but I think we have to understand what what it takes to be a Christian, a follower yes. of Jesus. So we're not sort of categorically putting the Catholic Church in the same lane as Mormonism or um, the uh, Jehovah's Witness. Uh, but what we are saying is that this is not sort of, uh, there are pitfalls and dangers. And I think we don't, we also think that not a lot of Catholic people really even know what the church teaches. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about comes straight out of the catechism of the Catholic Church. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about things that aren't uh, abstract, but they're not things that the church ne- necessarily talks about on a regular basis. So yeah. we want to make sure we talk through those things so that everybody can kind of define terms and know where where the Catholic Church stands as an organization. Mm-hmm. But but you are not saved by the church you attend. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important disclaimer that we can put on all of these episodes. Yeah. And, and so if you have a genuine relationship with the uh, second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, and you have uh, put your trust in him as the Savior of the world mm-hmm. and the Savior of your own soul— then you are a Christian. You mm-hmm. are you identify yourself with him, yeah. you follow him, you walk with him. And and the truth is it doesn't matter what church you attend on a, a Sunday, that you can still be a follower of Jesus. That's their only requirement for salvation. 
Yeah, the uh, the object, the person of our faith is what saves us. Yeah, but I will say this. I, I think that the church we attend on a Sunday uh, can put roadblocks up for us and mm-hmm. barriers to mm-hmm. actually understanding the true gospel that's found in, in the Word of God. Yeah, and so I think it's just a great place to start in sort of the common ground that I would say Protestants and Catholics have. Yeah, and even historically, uh, you know, it was the Reformation of the 1500s that that really we started to see a, a, a separation from from uh, Catholicism, Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. <clears throat> into now what is known as Protestantism. Yeah, and you know Martin Luther with his uh, his bold uh, nailing his theses to the to the door of the the Catholic Church and showing all the ways that that maybe the 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 regular <clears throat> excuse me. The regular Catholic Church did not uh, maybe deviated from what Scripture taught, mm-hmm. uh, and you know some other some other church fathers like you've got Zwingli and you've got uh, Calvin mm-hmm. and part of that movement, and then all of a sudden in the 1500s that that splits off, and you start to see the Protestant movement branch off from the Roman Catholic movement. Yeah, Protestants are born out of Catholicism. Yeah. yeah. Luther, who did that, was a he was a monk. He was a priest in the Catholic Church. And he had no desire to leave the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. He 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 didn't want to start this big revolution. He mm-hmm. he simply wanted to to maybe redirect He wanted to write the ship. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to write the he ship. He saw that things were going very poorly that they were getting very far from the teachings of Scripture, yeah. and he wanted to write the church. Yeah, he didn't want—yeah, I guess a better way to say it is he didn't want to to separate the church into two yeah. and split the church, but mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so now we've got the Protestant church, churches like the Well or, or you know, the Baptist or the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Presbyterian churches that you might know of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got the, the Roman Catholic church, this yeah. big behemoth uh, that, that comes from the Vatican— in Rome. Mm-hmm. And the Roman, uh, so, I mean, <laughs> we took a little bit of detour from commonalities. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we've got, we've got a lot in common, right? And so what do we, what would you say is some of the big ones? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things, this is why I would say you can be Catholic and, and be a Christian at the same time, because yeah. the things that we deviate on, mm-hmm. uh, are, are significant, but, not central to the gospel. So yeah. that being God's nature, that being the the Trinity, um, Jesus's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. We agree on all three of those things. Yeah. And so we know uh, that that God's in in God's nature that He is love, that He is good, that He is powerful, that He is uh, all knowing and and uh, omnipresent and everything mm-hmm. like that. There's mm-hmm. there's no differentiation in the nature of God. There's also no differentiation uh, when it comes to the Trinity. So the the Catholic Church believes that the the same belief that we do, which is that that there are uh, there's one God in three persons uh, with different roles and or different functions mm-hmm. that, that they carry out, and one of those being the second person of the Trinity, which is not uh, in order of of value, but yeah. just simply in order in which they're they're introduced. Um, in scripture, but the, the idea of like, Hey, um, Jesus came, uh, fully God, fully man died on the cross for our sins, was Mm -hmm. buried three days later, rose again. And now he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the father. All of that, 
uh, we we would find common ground in. Yeah, and I think that's important to denote that um, you can believe that and sit in almost any congregation and be a Christian. Yeah, I think we're gonna have a lot of differences, but what we talked about earlier is that that the Catholic Church creates quite a few roadblocks in that process in creating you know thousands of years of church tradition that end up muddying the waters of that at times. Well, and I think what we need to, to distinguish uh, from Protestantism with the Catholic Church is you can be, you can attend the Catholic Church and be a Christian. Mm-hmm. You cannot believe what the Catholic Church believes and be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different things because what we're going to see is not only does the Catholic Church say that Jesus is needed and required for salvation, but it's also membership to the Catholic Church. Yeah. So we'll get into that when we talk about salvation, but those are very yeah. two different two different things. And I think this is this podcast is important because I think there are people who just say like if you're inside of a Catholic church, you're just not a Christian. Right. And we don't think that. No. We think that what makes you a Christian is your proximity to the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah. Who he is, has he saved you is your affirmation of who he is. Um but I think it's also important because I think there's a lot of young people who are being drawn away from some of the sensationalism mm-hmm. and celebrity Christianity of evangelicalism today. Yeah. And they're being drawn to some older practices. Yep. And the, I mean, hate or love it, the Catholics are the oldest. It doesn't get much <laughs> older than that. And so they find a sense of transcendence and awe in the cathedral setting. Yeah. And so they're going into these places and they're not necessarily fully wide-eyed and knowing all the things that the Catholic Church teaches. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I have a Catholic Church that's right down the street from my house yeah. in the Tower District, and I have gone there to pray um, be on a walks before. Um, and because a lot of times they have open doors, they have vespers and different services during the day, and I, like, I, I it's like me and three old ladies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but And I find a sense of awe in that place. It's very beautiful. Yeah. And in the Middle Ages, these places were designed to strike awe into the hearts of people who could never build something like this themselves. You right. Know? Well, I mean, I, w- I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. so I have a unique perspective um, because my parents came from Catholic roots, both of them, and uh, and they wanted to raise us in the church. And so uh, I always joke that they wanted to raise us in the church. They just don't want to do it very bad, like that, that badly. So mm-hmm. uh, they there were things <laughs> there were things that you know drew us away from the church from a, at an early age, even in second grade. I was thinking I was seven or eight, and and yet I have this this foundation in my faith, and I've talked about it here uh, when I share my testimony. I have this foundation in my faith that is so deep because of the the early um, kind of introductions that like I Sunday had. school lessons. Yeah, and... Sunday school lessons. Even just my baptism. What a great foundation. I don't I don't the well does not teach infant baptism. Mm-hmm. We don't see it in, and we'll get into that too. I guess yeah. I'm, getting, I'm jumping the gun. But we don't we don't see that in scripture. But in a way, what a great declaration for my parents to make in my life that that they they essentially were um, dedicating me to the Lord on that day mm-hmm. that, you know, 17 years later, uh the Lord would grab a hold of my heart in such a powerful way. But a lot of the things that I learned, I mean, along the way were, were things that caused me to ask greater questions when I was, you know, a, a, approaching adulthood and ultimately when, when Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart. So I wouldn't have known necessarily what questions to ask had I not had some sort of a foundation. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know if I'd draw this conclusion as yeah. the same people, but like Luther. Yeah. 
it was the foundation of your heart. <laughs> yeah, right? we're basically the same. You're basically a reformer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think I think that there were just questions that I thought I knew the answers to because mm-hmm. of the foundation that I had. That then I started to look into scripture and go, yeah, I don't think I I fully understand. When it. I first became a Christian, I was in Southern California and I got involved in a cool church and I came back to Fresno and. My idea of the church landscape in Fresno was really bad. Mm. I was just, I had a bad experience in my parents' church. I didn't really trust it. And so I didn't really know where to go. I didn't know what to do. So I actually just started going to a Catholic church. Yeah. And I started going back and forth between Orthodox and Catholic churches. Okay. Like Greek Orthodox? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And just being like, well, they're basically the same. Yeah. I was like, all these people here, they're really nice. They have great food. Like, I don't know. And I just was really interested in learning more about it. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, their teachings on authority, mm. and as I started, kept sitting down with these priests, like, hey, let me understand, let me, like, what do you, what's really the differences, you know? And it wasn't until I found the fundamental differences of authority in the lives of a believer yeah. that I was like, ah, I just don't think I can sign on for this. Well, tell me more about that. Uh, well, I mean, we can get into some of the differences, I okay. guess. Yeah, well, I think like the authority piece is like a, it, it's a huge one. Yeah. Well, let's let's do that. Let's let's talk about um, let's talk about the difference, different beliefs. Uh, kind mm-hmm. of, we've talked about the similarities, yeah. right? But I will tell you before we do that. Yeah. I think the church does, and we did an episode on this, right? Of connecting to our past, of you know, like what the younger generation really wants. I do think that the church can regain a sense of awe mm. and, and the transcendence of God, and I think the Catholics really do. Um, do have that. Mm-hmm. There's like this idea that God speaks all languages. He speaks a language of the heart. There's the smells and bells, right? You walk in and even the, the way the sanctuary smells, it feels like you're in the presence of a different place. This this experience where you, you can draw near to God in this place with the beauty of the place. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that we like we need to just build giant cathedrals again. Right. But I think even in our liturgy, the way we order our services and things, I think we can be more intentional as a Protestant church or an evangelical church in the way we order things to draw people near to a transcendent, awe-inspiring God. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a thing to listen. So anyways, I just wanted to say that before we moved on. No, that's good. That's a good caveat. But I think let's start, uh, the best place to start since you already kind of promote it. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about the authority. So so we we would say that the authority of the the Christian life is the inspired and errant word of God that has is rev- been revealed by the one God of the Bible. That that's mm-hmm. the only authority that we have. Now there are there are, are leadership structures that then kind of descend out of that in the yeah. church. And Everything is weighed by Scripture. Yeah. So the but the ultimate authority of the church is the word of God in, mm-hmm. in the Protestant church. But that that's not necessarily the case in the Catholic Church. It's, it's at least not exclusively. Tell, tell me a little bit about. I'd love to hear your experience with those priests. I mean, what 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 did you explore? Where did you yeah. kind of? What kind of conclusions did you come to? Well, over time, I I really had to push him to be honest because I think he realized that this is going to be a deal breaker for me because of the centrality of Scripture in yeah. my processing. Um, but he was an amazing man. I think his father Jim, and um, I mean, we sat down over time and eventually he just revealed basically, okay, yes. Oh, I think it was the idea of pedo-baptism. Okay. Of kids getting baptized mm-hmm. as babies. And I was like, yeah, like, talk me through that. You know, what? where do you get this? What are these things? 
And then he started saying, okay, so we don't see this explicitly taught in Scripture. Right. But what we do have is the tradition of the church. Yeah. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And so he explained that Scripture is a source of authority. Yep. And the tradition of the church has equal weight on how you view Scripture as well as just the teaching of the things that are not in Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, and and so you have all of these traditions handed down, and, mm -hmm. and many of them for, from early on, like 4th, 5th century mm -hmm. traditions that yeah. have, have kind of stuck. But well, they, and to be clear, you know, Pedobaptism is not like a deal breaker. No. It's you were, you know, <laughs> yeah. you got dunked or I got dunked sprinkled twice. or whatever. I got dunked twice. <laughs> yeah. But but I think, yeah, it, it's not a deal breaker, right? That's not going to separate. That's going to not going to keep you out yeah, of heaven. Yeah, Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin were all pedobaptized. Yeah. So, you know, you you see that, but but there's also not only not only is there the uh the Bible, which mm -hmm. they would say is authoritative, mm -hmm. uh, but also tradition and then the teaching ministry or the magisterium of the church. And mm -hmm. so you've got these three uh things that combine to provide authority. Mm -hmm. So that means if one contradicts the other, then we have we have to surrender to one of the three, right? So now there's not one ultimate authority of the church. There's three, and they're all kind of weighted the same. And so that's where you get things like pedo-baptism. That's where, you know, you, you get the Pope, right, speaking out, creating doctrine for the church that's ever-changing, right? Yeah. With each Pope, we have a different... We have, we have a different set of decrees that kind of come down. Mm -hmm. You've seen it when it comes to immigration. You've seen it when it comes to to um, uh, homosexuality and, and gay marriage. You, mm -hmm. you, I mean, uh, the, whoever's, whoever the pope is, is is able to now pass down truth. Yeah, they would the say that he's not a prophet. Right. He holds authority from God, yeah. right? He's the first among all equals. Yeah, and not only that, but their their Bible is different than ours. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people don't really know that, but the the Protestant Bible is made up of sixty six books, um, and and we we have uh, those books that uh, you know the Old Testament and the New Testament that we would use as our scripture. the The Catholics affirm that they affirm the sixty six books, but they add to it, and they add to it what we call the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha are books that were put through the canonical process. Uh, that's a big word, but the process of de determining whether they were inspired or not. Mm -hmm. And they were rejected and determined by the church fathers based off of a lot of critical uh, work that they did. I mean, this is not just, nah, we don't like that one. It's like they, they had all of these different reasons for mm -hmm. whether or not a book was inspired or not. Um, and I don't have it in front of me, but, but the... The idea is that now the the Protestant canon has has rejected those apocryphal books, uh, whereas the Catholics now include them into the uh, the the Bible that they use today. Yeah, and even those Jews who um, had their Tanakh, their Old Testament, what we would call it now, uh, they never canonized this uh, set of books that we would call the apocrypha. Yeah, and and there's um, you know. Jesus warned about the possibility of a tradition uh, that perverts the intent of God's word. I mean, we talk about that with the when it comes to um, the Pharisees, right? Being passing down. I mean, the Pharisees were were the were the kings of this prior to you know the Catholic Church ever existing. Like mm -hmm. They they're the Old Testament version, so they would look at something, they would interpret it the way that 
the way that they wanted to. And then they would pass down tradition through different means and, and ways of doing that from generation to generation. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he, he says, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's, not what, that's not what God's word says in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. And so even Jesus himself refuted things like tradition. And so we've got this, this non-canonical Bible as the authority uh, of scripture. We've got tradition being weighed in. And then we've got the, the teaching uh, magistrate of the, the, the Catholic Church, which now puts three co-equal uh, authorities over, over the life of a Catholic. And that's problematic. Yeah, and I think the church plays into that hugely, right, for things like uh, salvation. I mean, a lot of times the life of a Catholic is, I mean, the teaching of the church is that to be saved, you need to be confirmed into the Catholic church, which yeah. means you need to be basically have membership. Yeah, salvation is a big is a big uh, difference in the in the two um, beliefs. I mean, you, you're talking about the idea that um, uh, that Catholics are are not only is faith in Jesus required, but it, it's also it's also being a part of the Catholic Church and uh, being in good standing also is is a requirement. Mm-hmm. And and they have a lot of different. Uh, when it comes to salvation and sin, there's a lot of different beliefs, but uh, they have different two different uh, classes of sin. So there's venial sin, and then there's there's mortal sin. Uh, mortal sin destroys the sanctifying grace of God uh, within the individuals. And so so if you die with a mortal sin, uh, having not been confessed through the act of confession to a priest, right? To you know going to to confession. Then you you cannot be saved, and so that that takes away the saving grace of Jesus because now it's not just what Jesus did on the cross, but it's also what church you attend, and it's also you know what sins you actually gave into, and so that's the that's the struggle with you know uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church when compared to Scripture. Yeah, and I think so. This is like. Catholic Church has a broad sort of list of requirements for its uh, for its constituents, right? Yeah. So you have all the all of the different sacraments, right? That you need to participate in order to be in good standing. Seven right? of them, yeah. Seven sacraments being baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist as a part of the Mass, the penance or confession, the anointing of the sick, the holy orders, matrimony meaning marriage. Yeah. And all those things. Yeah. Right? These are all... Um, I think this... A big thing for me is that um, at times, you know, I have a, I've had a lot of Catholic friends who are completely disengaged from their faith, but totally believe that they're saved and in communion with God mm-hmm. because they have checked all the boxes. Yeah. And so when you begin to continually... Conf- um, conflate participation in systems with a relationship with the God of eternity, you end up with a different product. And so people, I think, are continually entering into the systems of the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. And they're they're doing the things that, the, you know, like you said, you were you were entered into catechism. You were never confirmed, right? No. So, like, you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't... I had the that. first communion, though. Yeah, you hit yeah. a couple free yeah. throws. I had a couple. Uh, but I just, like, I think that the product... The fruit of a lot of this 
is what I've seen in people as they like, oh yeah, you know, um, I think it's greatly illustrated in the Godfather series. Mm. So you have an allegiance to the church that creates a desire to be in the place. So this final scene, I think it's Godfather 1, is where they're putting out hits on all these guys. Okay. And they're out like in people's rooms killing them, but the leadership is in mass. Yeah. And they're inside and they're paying money and they're building new wings of the church. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we're doing all these things, but we are still, we're saved because we're, you know, in this building. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a, a, a bit of a checkboxing mission. And I don't know that that's like, like we said, the caveat, the asterisk to this thing is you can, that can, there can be people in the Catholic church. There are people in the Catholic church who love Jesus, yeah. have a relationship with God. But there is also a system that has at times very um, uh, gross roots, which then ends up not producing the fruit of the believer throughout their lives. Yeah, and and again, we're talking about the Catholic Church yeah. and not Catholics as individual. Yeah, you know that's a broader, that's a much broader conversation. Yeah, my but, my friend will be like, well, do you, you know, because the Catholic Church draws their uh, their origins back to Peter, right? right? And saying that, well, Jesus said that he's, he's going to be the rock that Jesus builds a church on. Well, and, you know, Christian tradition says that Peter went to Rome to establish a church in Rome. Yeah. Now, like, okay, maybe, but <laughs> that doesn't change the fact that you have a personal responsibility to Jesus and to walk in grace with him. Yeah. And, and again, all of these things that we're talking about, are, are not just our opinions of the Catholic Church. They're things we're pulling straight from the catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it'd be beneficial just to quick walk through those seven those seven um, uh, sacraments. So yeah, we, go for it. We have baptism. Baptism, uh, the, the uh, catechism of the Catholic Church says that uh, by baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. And so the erasure of... Uh, of, of original sin of any uh, sin happens through the the product of baptism. The problem with that is that now you're teaching baptism has a part to play in salvation. Uh, when it comes to confirmation, confirmation is uh, done by the bishop when a child reaches uh, the age of discretion. And what that does is it actually uh, increases the gifts and the strength of the Holy uh, Holy Spirit, but it also completes baptismal grace. So what started at baptism now is completed uh, through confirmation to the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so we're not talking about, we're, we're talking about, we, we, we haven't talked much about Jesus yet when it comes to the grace that, that comes around. Uh, the third one, um, the third, third sacrament being the Eucharist, or uh, we, we call it um, communion. And the, the crazy part about this, not crazy, that's a terrible word to use, <laughs> but the interesting part uh, about this is they believe in what's called transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, transubstantiation means that they interpret the, uh, the Passover meal that Jesus had when he says, this is my body, they interpret that literally. Uh, this is my body and this is my blood. And so they believe that at the moment that you are the, ingesting, you are ingesting the the bread or the wine or the juice. Um, that that the elements actually have a metaphysical change, yeah. and change from they don't represent anything. They're actually changed from bread to flesh, yeah, and they're actually changed from wine or juice to blood. Yeah, I remember uh, Father Jim. He would like always disappear at the end of mass, uh-huh. and then he'd come back and. 
I'd be like, where'd you go? Like, I finally asked him, where'd you, he's like, well, that's the body and blood of Christ. I can't throw it away. Yeah. So he, anything that wasn't consumed, uh, he went and he ate. Oh, really? <laughs> and he had to drink the rest of the wine cup. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> but I think the problem with that is, right, so Jesus was obviously human. Mm -hmm. uh, he was fully God, fully man. And his humanity places certain restrictions on his human body. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be in multiple places at one time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so what we see is uh, we see Jesus saying, this is my my body. Well, it couldn't have represented that. And so that's that's just a little theology, but that's getting yeah. into the, the background of why we don't believe in transubstantiation. I mean, if we believe that, yeah, it would be really important. It would. It yeah. would. And it is important. Yeah. Jesus asked us to do it. He said, do this in oh, remembrance yeah. of me, right? Um, but nowhere in scripture do we see that that transubstantiation is actually a thing. Yeah. So, and then the next one is, is penance, or you mentioned confession, which is how it's commonly known. And that's a way that you receive forgiveness of sins uh, committed after baptism. And so, uh, baptism gives you uh, the wipes away sin. Uh, the confirmation uh, will then confirm that and, and uh, put a, put a period on, on the saving grace, yeah. then the only way you're continually forgiven, which, which brings to mind the sacrificial system in the old Testament that Jesus came to abolish, right. Or fulfill, yeah. uh, to, so that, you know, he is now the one, the one sacrifice once and for all for everybody. Uh, but now the Catholic church is saying, you gotta, you gotta go to confession to, to obtain the forgiveness of sins committed after baptism. Dispensed by the priest. Yeah, and again, straight from the, the catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah. The next one is the anointing of the sick, uh, which uh, only priests and bishops can give this sacra sacrament using oil blessed by the bishop, um, and it can only be used uh, in in uh, cases when a Catholic is in danger or sick. Uh, so it's they're, they're going to anoint them with oil. Um Holy orders is number six. Uh, Catholics believe this sacrament uh, confers sacred power for service. Uh, so there's three degrees of holy order when it comes to the sacraments. The highest is bishop, then priest, and then deacon. And uh, women are not able to receive the uh, ordination uh, of a bishop or a priest. Uh, Catholics believe that, uh, and then uh, the other order is, or the, the highest order within the Catholic Church is the Pope, which is a bishop, but now is the lead bishop of, of the church. Yeah, and, they and their catechism says that he's the full supreme and universal power over the whole church. Yeah, so what he says goes mm -hmm. in, in interpretation, in decree. And then the last one is, is matrimony. So Catholics believe that the, the sacrament of matrimony gives spouses the grace to love each other. Uh, with the love with which Christ loved His church, and and so they take marriage very seriously, which is a good thing, right? We mm -hmm. want to we want to take marriage very seriously. Remarriage uh, by any divorced Catholic for any reason, uh, while the lawful spouse is alive, is not allowed. But I think one thing that we have to mention is that they do a lot of annulments in the Catholic Church. It's mm -hmm. a way around kind of the this doctrine of of the church. And so these are the sacraments, a little understanding of those. Yeah, and what we see here is the systematizing of different things given to us by God in Scripture. So yeah. we have uh, in the centralization of the power structure of the church into one central body that, um, I mean, anytime we see that um, 
the church and power are mixed, corruption ensues. Well, the tendency of the Pharisees starts to come in, and mm-hmm. it's for any church, right? It's not just the Catholic church, but we see it. You know, the Catholics are are taking what they see in Scripture, and then they're yeah. adding to it and creating, you know, new ways to observe things, new mm-hmm. ways to do things, new new emphasis on certain yeah. things, new power in certain things, and that's that's what they've that's what the Pharisees did mm-hmm. in in you know the Old Testament times as they led up in the intertestamental period until Jesus came. And and corrected them. Uh, one one final place we gotta spend some time is is on when Mary. it comes to Mary. Yeah, we have to we have to talk about the differences there because the the differences on how Protestants and Catholics view Mary is substantial. Yeah, and and so we gotta talk a little bit about that. So Mary, mother of Jesus. Yes, Mary, mother of Jesus. Right. Uh, uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, she's she, awesome. She's great. Uh, we we are for her. Yeah. Um, we're we're grateful for uh, the sacrifice that she made. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, she gave up a lot. Um, her her reputation was tarnished. Mm-hmm. Um, she watched her her oldest son. Yeah, uh, and I say oldest for a purpose. Uh, we'll get to it in a second. She watched her oldest son yeah. uh, die on the cross. I mean, she she was incredibly strong and godly. And, yeah. and in a lot of ways is somebody that we should admire. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the, the differentiation is that there's a, a lack of a worshiping that happens in the Protestant yeah. church, where I think the, the Catholics walk right up to that line and, and sometimes even go over that line. Yeah, most of my Catholic friends would say, oh, we don't worship Mary, we revere Mary. We ask for her intercession. Yeah. and, and But I would say, like, that's a pretty mild interpretation of what the church says about Mary. Which is, if that's all it was, that would be fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Catholic... Well, I mean, even her intercession is like, I don't know where you get that, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... The whole, I mean, scripturally, the Holy Spirit is our interceding. Yeah, know, we could I, talk about that. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that's a, uh, I don't think that's. But a I don't right think that's, yeah, deal doctrine. breaker. But, but I, I think you know things that they they believe that at least that the Catholic Church itself believes is that Mary was totally preserved from the stain of original sin. Yeah, she was a sinless woman. Sinless woman even from birth. So she from birth was sinless. She remained sinless all of her life. Mm-hmm. She was a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth, which we we also believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she remained a virgin for the rest of uh, rest of her life. And and the Bible doesn't teach that. I mean, that's the that's one thing is like Jesus talks about his brothers and his sisters. Yeah. Like he had brothers and sisters. So Jesus was her oldest son, yeah. but not her only son and and so we have to realize like even right there it's a very obvious that 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 doctrine of the catholic church well and is, this is, is like false. a tradition-based thing right so yeah i think some of it's filling in the gaps or the lines right they're thinking like well how can a if she's sharing her sinful genetics with her son jesus right how can he not be sinful right yeah well i don't know have more imagination in the possibility of god yeah and i think like the tradition of the church would say, well, we need to sort of fill in those gaps and make sure. Uh, but also, if Scripture is your authority, it also tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the... Yeah. And it doesn't give it exception doesn't say for Mary. Mary yeah. It'd be a really convenient time to say, except Mary. Yeah, right. And, and you know, there that's where the Immaculate Conception comes in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 don't have to use our, we don't have to use our imagination. Yeah. And that, that stuff is confusing for me because the Catholics, one of the things I love is that they embrace mystery. Like, things are so, like, they're fine being like, wow, the mystery of the Eucharist. You know, we don't know how it works, but Jesus gave it to us. Yeah. But then in this specific instance, they're like, 
well, for her to actually give birth to Jesus, she would have to be sinless. So that, and you're like, well, okay, you can't embrace mystery here, right? You know, yeah, that's good. And and you know, it, the the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church also teaches that she was taken up, body and soul, to heavenly glory, um, exalted by the Lord as queen over all things. That's what it says. That's a <laughs> yeah. quote uh, from that. They referred to Mary as the Holy Mother of God. Uh, holy meaning set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, that's a word we use for God. And something that we uh, we uh, we try to get to, like we, yeah. we want to become, they view her as a co-mediator of God's grace, uh, a collaborator with her her son Jesus. Uh, according to Pope uh, Paul the Sixth, the Church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin is intrinsic to Christian worship. Yeah, and so they can say that they don't worship Mary, but it's you can't worship without devotion to her. And so I think, you know, as we walk through all of these things, uh, we recognize that Mary should be honored as a, a yeah. godly uh, and faithful woman. It's incredible. And and a, a woman that we look back on and go, I'm really glad that, that God chose her, like mm-hmm. God's perfect and, yeah. and that he made the decision to choose her. Uh, but I just can't, I, I don't see anywhere in scripture that teaches that we ought to be uh, that reverent of her, where it would approach worship, and and according to Pope Paul the Sixth, that it would actually become uh, become worship. Yeah, and, and Mary's song in Luke one is one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry yeah. that we have. And like, I, I mean, I'm just so, I don't know. I, I think this is one of those things where the gaps are being filled in, and I understand how over the years you can take reverence to the place of worship. Yeah. But I I, th- I really genuinely think they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, and and you know you you look at uh, different places in Scripture. So Matthew twelve, uh, Matthew twenty eight, Mark three, Luke eight, John seven, and it, it's very clear that Mary was not a virgin her entire life. And so we're looking at all of these things that that the Catholic Church believes about Mary, and and I get the I get the the feeling of wanting to revere her, but. Uh, tradition has has taken them beyond what the authority of scripture allows yeah yeah well i mean we've talked a lot about the differences and things i think uh we can't hit everything like we said they have two thousand years of tradition (laughs) to draw upon yeah right and every pope has their own revisions every pope has their own teachings um i think for me one of the biggest things that you have to wrestle with as a catholic facing someone like me a protestant is there have been popes after popes, um, I don't believe the current one does, but uh, that have affirmed the doctrine that in order to be saved, you need to be in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And um, again, conflating uh, a place or a location or a specific set of authoritative teachings with salvation is just not Christ. Right, Yeah. And I think I think we do have to remember, and we've said it multiple times because we it really is our heart. So it's just our heart kind of bleeding into this mm-hmm. podcast. But we have to remember that salvation does not depend on the church you're a member at. So yeah. so what, where we would tell that to a Catholic, I would also tell that to a Protestant. Yeah, and it also does not depend on your works. Right, your works are produced out of a regenerative work of Christ and the Spirit in you. Yeah, and and so I think you know if we were going to share our faith with uh, a Catholic. I mean, obviously, where do you start? We start with prayer. You got to pray for your friends. It's going to happen. You have to pray. If you're not praying for your friends, start. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about that. Think about the power of God working in their lives. Yeah. 
And I think you got to start with that. You got to, you got to, uh, you got to share your story. You got to mm-hmm. share your story of, of what Jesus has accomplished in your life. Um, and, and keep your, your testimony short and to the point. Um, I would, I would actually avoid using terms that are familiar to Catholics. I think that's a good word. Um, like, uh, walk the aisle, got saved, born again. Mm-hmm. They understand those terms. Uh, yeah. But I would, I would just share what Jesus has done in your life that, that he has transformed you. That's a good place to start for all of us. We all know our story. There's mm-hmm. not a story we know better yeah. than our own stories of what Jesus has done. And so if we can share, uh, that story, it's a good way to go. And when, when we're talking about and sharing continue our faith. to ask your friends, who is Jesus to you? Yeah. And what does it have to do with your day-to-day faith? I think that's a huge deal. If they can answer that from the Christian, uh, from the Catholic perspective in a way that is concurrent with the gospel, I mean, praise God. But then I would encourage them to start reading their New Testament. Um, one of the sort of like, after the Reformers had done what they did, the Catholics got together in a council, and they said, I can't remember the name of it right now, this council, but um, they reaffirmed that the correct interpretation of the scriptures are only from the church mm. and only from the top places in the church. And so there was a discouragement from them to actually read their scriptures. And that was one of the revolutions of the Reformation is that they affirmed that the uh, the individual believer along with the Holy Spirit could interpret the scripture for themselves. Yeah, And that's a big deal back then. It's not, I mean, it seems kind of strange to us now, but since then the Catholics have actually said that you can and you do have permission to read your New Testament. Yeah, which and is so, a big deal. Yeah, I would encourage your your Catholic friends, hey, say, have you read your New Testament? Do you know what you believe? Like, how does the teachings of the Catholic Church match up with your New Testament and go from there? And maybe, maybe two more things to do and one more thing not to do. <laughs> uh, so I would say do um, uh, talk about the assurance of salvation that we have uh, mm-hmm. because that's not— that's not a part of the Catholic Church, right? I mean, you talk about mortal sins, you talk about the need for, for a confession in the yeah. Catholic Church, but but First uh, John five uh, and and John ten come to mind of like we we're assured of salvation, like we we don't have to worry about whether or not something we do is going to keep us out of heaven, aside from us not actually having a saving faith mm-hmm. in Jesus. So I would say I would say talk talk about that, but then I would say keep it Christ centered. Because you you don't need to talk them out of going to Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. You just have to share Jesus and and help them to experience the blessing of a, an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Yeah. So we don't need to get into all these. That's the, this is the the one not to do. Yeah. We don't need to get into all these secondary issues. Like if you if you win an argument over transubstantiation, but your friend doesn't put his faith in Jesus, you lose, mm-hmm. and they lose, and it's for eternity, and there are eternal consequences. Like this is a big deal. Yeah. So so stop trying to win arguments. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to win theological debates, and and just just share Jesus with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, theological debates have their place in time. Yeah. But it's not when you're witnessing to someone. Well, in Catholicism, it being such a like a participatory religion in that like many things are just boxes being checked. Yeah. Um like you have to consider that your friend may have even checked all these boxes and not really even sold themselves to the whole thing. Yeah. It's a tradition, it's a cultural thing. You know, there are some places where, you know, to be this ethnicity is to be Catholic. Yeah. And that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. So I would say be curious about your friends, your people yeah. around you. Ask them what being Catholic actually means to them mm. and then go from there. That's good, man. 
Well, uh, I've had fun talking with you about yeah. Catholicism, sharing a little bit from my past yeah. uh, and, you know, a little bit about why I've, I'm grateful that, that God's called me out of that and into the truth of of who he is and what he's done in my life. And yeah. our hope is that if you're listening, that uh, that we've you know better equipped you to, to speak with your friends, to understand uh, not just what Catholics believe, because like we, we mentioned, not all Catholics actually know what the church what's in the catechism of the catholic church but mm-hmm. we hope we've we've equipped you to know what the the catholic church believes and uh and maybe just encouraged you to to reach out and and share your faith with somebody who you know that that is catholic and see, see where it goes all right well thanks for joining us guys we'll see you next time remember to like subscribe and share with a friend we hope this starts great conversations see you next time Thank you for listening to this episode of The Wellcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. For more information about The Well Community Church, visit thewellcommunity.org.